Hello, and welcome to Punching Out. Every week, we're here on Wayo Radio talking about the problems people have with their work, whether it's incompetent bosses or unfair policies, hostile workplaces or dismal paychecks, or anything in between. We want to hear from you. If you'd like to share your work problems with us, email us at punchingoutwayo at gmail.com and let us talk about them. Tune in and punch out. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Welcome to Punching Out, a show about work. Uh, you're here with Ariel. Hi, I'm Kristen. And I'm Lou. And we are going to talk about uh, racism in the workplace, uh, especially with regard to um, the, the sort of topic of diversity and uh, whatever strides uh, corporations and companies and all kinds of concerns take to, um, to deal with uh, diversity and racism in the workplace. Um, so do we want to start with a little bit of background, what we do professionally? Um, I'll, I'll start. Uh, I am a legal assistant at a nonprofit law firm uh, specializing in housing. Um, Kristen? I uh, do uh, professional development and training at a um, local university. Mm-hmm. And Lou? I'm into guest services, and I'm also a manager, so I'm the enemy. <laughs> You're the man. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. So, um, racism, as pervasive as it is in society, it's uh, no surprise that it is a huge factor in the dynamics between people at, wor- at workplaces. Um, it's So, the place I work uh, at is, like a, is a pretty progressive place because of its mission. Um, it's a pretty diverse place, so there we don't see a lot of... There isn't a lot of racial conflict where I work, um, which is which is good. But I think I suspect that's a pretty rarefied situation. Um, you know, a bunch of, sort of do-gooder lawyers uh, <laughs> like you're usually a little bit more careful with each other and with with their clients. And uh, I think most places are, given that it is a service, it is a is a public good service that that we do. Um, do you guys do you guys have any sort of experience with um, fairly bald racial situations at your workplaces? I mean, I've been really lucky. Like, my entire working life, I've always worked with women mm. and for women, mm. um, primarily white women. So we're it's a really um, uh, not diverse situation, I'm not going to lie. Um, but, I, you know, I always feel like there's something missing out of, of what we're doing at, at my job, um, if nothing else, because, I, you know, it's because I myself am white and a woman, um, it's like, yeah, this is really easy for me, but I, you know, I don't feel like that's a emblematic situation. I don't think that that's what happens for a lot of people at work. Um, so yeah, I, I, I see it sometimes, um, especially when I'm interacting with people. Cause again, I'm in guest services and yeah. I see all sorts of people all the time. Yeah. Um, and so I'd say that's where sometimes you get some tension. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, in the workplace, it doesn't exist because right. there's nothing for it to exist. There's, there. there's kind of an artificial yeah. hom- like homogeneity. Exactly. You, you don't yeah. get in a, a, a cross section of regular. Uh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So like sexism, racism, that kind of thing, it doesn't exist because we're all the same, which is that's right. Boring. Yeah. To to some extent, but you know. What are the what, it is. what are the dynamics? Since it's you said it's uh, primarily women, what are the dynamics between the genders? Uh, given that that's the case, not the men are in the minority. Uh, it was actually really great. I remember one time this uh, guy told somebody that she should smile. Oh, no. Which is, you know, the, the real typical, uh, like, no, men, don't don't tell the women to smile, don't do anything like that. Right. Uh, so she was able to actually say, um, actually, don't, don't say that to me. This is why. And mm-hmm. he, like, scampered off with his tail between his legs. Sure. Um, so that was kind of awesome, That's to be of, honest. Yeah, just to be able to, like, come yeah. out with it because yeah. most of the people there just totally understand where you're coming from exactly. and back you. Ironically, though, for, for a while, um, the leadership in my organization was half men, half women, when women were, like, three-fourths of the workforce. Mm. So that was kind of weird. But, you know, other than that, it's... It's pretty good. Like men, no men shouldn't work anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that that's that's the correct take on that. But yeah. we're just not needed anymore. Exactly. Yeah, no, you don't fine. don't need to work anymore. I, I Never mean, mind. I don't want to work myself. So. I'm all for I'm all for not working. That's fine. <laughs> I'll take that future. There you go. Auto- yeah. Automated by robots, as we were discussing uh, before we recorded. Yeah. Yeah, but that's like not the. That's not the point of this episode. No, I'm not gonna lie. It's not. It's not. Yeah. So uh, so, uh, so Kristen, you you directly work um, <clears throat> in 
you, you directly work with these issues and uh, sort of on the side of trying to trying to ameliorate them um, whenever possible. Um, could you could you walk us through a little bit of what you what you do professional and how, how that goes? Certainly. Um, so what I do is I I do a number of things around looking at diversity from a vast perspective um, and sometimes sometimes to the detriment of identifying racism. Mm. Um, and so to echo a, a friend of mine um, and something that I had been wrestling with for a long period of time is that I found myself talking about diversity without dealing with um, dealing with uh, racism and and in some extent, in, in an institution-wide right. level, they tend to be these, these masking words, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So instead of dealing with the fact that we have, we are structured a, as an institution around, with, within a racialized society, um, and how that has informed our own history. And I think, um, and I was, I was talking about this um, before with Lou, is like, very often racism gets encapsulized as this kind of individual experience yeah. or this in, you know, individualized um, phenomenon. Like, therefore, if I didn't experience racism, it doesn't exist. Or mm -hmm. if I'm not racist myself, meaning that I don't say the N-word or I right. don't write, I'm not blatant, um, then I'm not racist. And what gets ignored is how does it exist within a system? Mm -hmm. And specifically, a system that's um, as that has a deep history, has a deep embedded culture as an institution of higher education. Yeah. So, so what I found was that I, I was doing some programming. I was getting invited to kind of do what's called the diversity talk, you know, the why we're all different talk and how we should all be amazing and understanding those differences and how yeah. we can all get together. And um, I, I experienced actually, you know, the more that I would kind of, infuse that with this conversation about, and this is why we also need to pay attention to some isms and schisms between us, right? And white people would get uncomfortable. Right. They would figure out how to, um, you know, it, the minute I said racism, it was just like, whoa, <laughs> why are we talking about racism when we're supposed to be talking about diversity? And it's like, and that's when I realized just how ingrained that whole masking thing is. That's such a weird dichotomy to suggest uh, why are we talking about racism when we should be talking about diversity because it's yeah, like right? there's a causal yeah. relationship between those things. The but, racism is the cause of the diversity talk in the first place. Right? But people <laughs> like to categorize things. Sure. They like to put it in that bucket. Right. They right. like to say this is the, the nice safe diversity bucket. The yeah. one that mm -hmm. we get to talk about how we're all purple crayons and how we should be human to each other. Yeah. Um, bucket <laughs> instead of like really looking at like how are we engaging in systems that mm. are destructive, that are oppressive, and how do we dismantle that so that we can all be humanized sure. um, and engage in a in, in very inclusive manner? Is it is it too pessimistic to say that you find these sort of diversity seminars to be kind of like like festivals of like liberal self congratulation? Well, I mean, I went. Well, I mean, it isn't just the liberals that like to congratulate themselves. Sure, um, sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know. Yeah, come on, Ariel. Don't put everybody in a bucket. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what I, where I was going to go with that is is I had one last session where it literally turned into a witch hunt. Like I made this one white man uncomfortable. Mm. It turned into this witch hunt of leadership. Even though I went back and had this conversation with the administrator, and you know she and I come to an understanding, and I said, okay, that's going to happen. And I said, let's let's talk about that. Let's yeah. talk about people's discomfort. And it turned into like Kristen needs to go in and correct this. Da 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 mm. da. And that and that's when I just like dropped the gauntlet. I was like. Can we cuss on these? No. 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 Oh, <laughs> Believe me, I wish. Um, so I was like, uh, darn this. Um, <laughs> it's so forceful. Um, yeah. It was, it was just such a forceful moment. I was like, um, Dang it, everybody. Darn it. I was talking, you know. I couldn't, I couldn't let my computer do this talking for me. Um, and I was just like, that's it. I'm, I'm, I'm not doing this talk anymore. So yeah, you're right. right. I'm not going to do this self-congratulation, congratulationatory talk. And and this is like, like a lot of my own internal stuff um, because I I had had like just really having to do and seeing that critique about you know the diversity notion is is nonsense and seeing that from the activist community mm. and hurting like really hurting and a lot of times. 
um, I would hear this thing about, you know, those are just ways to keep white people comfortable in the room. And I was like, yeah, and you want to know why I do that? Because then I get to stay comfortable yeah, in the yeah. room. Right. Because I, I'm not a big, um, <laughs> one, because I tend to cuss, two, <laughs> because it's just like, as soon as that becomes combative, I really, I can't come up with that, yeah. like, you know, drop that, you know, it took a while for me to, like, drop that knowledge that'll, sh you know, not shut somebody down, but get somebody to at least think Redirect, in time for yeah. them. Yes, exactly. Um, and so I wasn't that skilled at that. And so then it was just like, I was walking out of those rooms with a lot of pain and my yeah. own self critique of like, Oh God, I suck. And, right. you know, and I just, I just didn't have the mental space and capacity to think about how to do that. Right. And, and, um, it actually, I started talking about a different philosophy and started embedding my training, um, with this idea about cultural humility and for me, cultural humility was a way to talk about racism and diversity, right? And mm. and I call them the other isms. I saw racism and the other isms and schisms, right? Yeah. So as a way of just saying, yes, we got other identities here, but and I, and I would come in quite frankly and say, if we don't deal with racism in this country and the fact that we have a race issue, um, we're not going to do honor to any other aspect of diversity. That's just not going to happen. Yeah. Um, and it, it was really for me to find that brave space in how to do this lesson. So Culture Humility did that because it talks about how this is a lifelong journey. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that honors the fact that racism has been a lifelong structure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. a lifelong institutionalized structure in our country. Yeah. Um, and so and then to talk about how you as the individual can be immersed in that, in that not only are you doing your, your lifelong journey, but then you can start seeing where racism translates into power structures mm -hmm. and racism turns into power imbalances yeah. Yeah. and how you can start raising your hand and going that power imbalance is, is meaning that our students aren't being tended to in proper ways or our employees aren't being, you know, aren't feeling encouraged and aren't feeling valued in, in other ways. And that's how you use your voice. And it's not this accusation that you yourself yeah. are this racist, awful, God human being. Right. It's just that you exist in a racialized society in which you have had this inheritance of thinking right. mm -hmm. that you're going to spend a lifetime unpacking right. so yeah. that you can see what other people have been telling you for right. for yeah. a long period of time. So I think to answer your question, I know it's a long... No, no, that's great. But that's, that's it's been exactly a long right. journey. Yeah. Um, that's kind of evolves. Like That's where I make that jump between yeah. you know talking about it from this encapsulated <laughs> minimized idea of, of diversity to really leading with racism yeah. and then go okay now let's see right how yeah. this yeah. lives in other spaces and i think that, that approach is nice because it, it allows people to think of themselves and the way that they interact in their in their communities as like kind of as projects like uh that that they are agents inside as opposed to like yeah. being, being like kind of picked out as these targets of people who may or may not be racists, right? Like, because that's a lot of the more superficial discussions of this, like sort of t t like tend to that, like you were saying, like just pointing out individuals and stuff like that. But you provide a framework and a map right. for, for people right. to to decide to decide to take on this project on their on their on their own steam, yeah. Right. Which is really which is really good. And it's a good way to start a conversation because then then like whenever you're pointing out sort of uh, racist structures and the way that maybe some people benefit from them, like they don't they don't have to feel implicated. Uh, they can feel empowered to do something about it. At least I recognize it. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, and I can't control how they're going to feel. Sure. I mean, sure. I, I let that go a long time ago. <laughs> I let that go how people think about me, yeah. how people <laughs> feel about it. Right. Because oh, wow. I'm quite frankly, I'm just like, if you're going to be mad at me, right. you're misdirecting your anger. Right. That's right. And, and again, that's part of my own journey. Um, but, you know, it's just when you look at like Philando Castile, when you look at, um, you know, just all these bodies that are suffering all these extreme consequences when you hear about you know people with tears in their eyes coming to you to talk about what they've been dealing with in a departmental level mm. um you know and you're just like this isn't right this shouldn't be the way that things exist um so so for me it's like i feel like i've been able to really engage my sense of purpose um within what I do and how I teach and what I teach, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, I mean, I imagine that that approach, you know, as you said, is 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 different and requires kind of baby stepping into the problem and, and uh, you know, saying it's incremental change and in everything. Um, I, from a corporate perspective, I imagine that's hard to hear 
because a lot of times, you know, at least in my experience, the corporation, they want something fixed. Like you come in, you have your talk, yeah. end of racism, everything like that. Um, so I, yeah, I imagine that's, you know, once you leave the room, they, they think everything's fixed and they say, oh, well, what do you mean? We still have to work at this. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So yeah. how, how does this how does this work just uh, like logistically? Do you um, do you, do you have like a, r a regular kind of recurring event that you do, or do you go from department to department? Um, both once a year. I, I, yeah, I so both. So part of part of my catchment is that I um, I help to coordinate a program um, that's um, institution wide um, that deals with um, in teach helping individuals understand inclusive practices around lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, questioning, et cetera. Sure. Um, indivi individuals and, um, yeah, really having deep conversations around that. Um, so that's a kind of our longstanding program. Mm -hmm. um, but then I also go in departments. Uh, I do department-specific sp um, programs, so culture humility is one of them. I've been... Um, when I launched that, it, it became like invited talks. So mm. um, s some divisions would say, you know, we're putting on this like um, series and we'd love for you to be a speaker at the series. Um, so I, I got to do that. And then it turned into just these invitations. People tend, they're like, that's fantastic. Everybody else needs to hear this. They'll invite me into the department, into de department retreats, um, which I love because that's the kind of proactive work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Because I think like when they hear stuff like that, then they start to really, and and I encourage them like keep this keep this talking because the last thing that I ask them is how do you make this live, mm -hmm. right? Um, so I'm not walking away and they're just like that was fantastic information and now we yeah. feel so fantastic about ourselves. We're cured, uh, right? Yeah. I mean it gives you like three core tenets to live by, and I ask them like how do you make these live? What's one thing you can do and who's going to hold you accountable to it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and then also um, just. If there's things in departments, so a lot of times, recently I've been getting a lot of requests to do um, work around transgender experience, um, and I've, I've having like some interesting conversations around that because I I try to make sure to come in with the recognition that I am cisgender, um, I speak from that voice and that perspective, and I do that as a, a form of advocacy, mm. um, and that I'm thinking of it as my way. I think of it in the same way in which that necessity for white people to have conversations with other white people about racism, right? And not mm -hmm. just wait for the people of color to do it. Yeah. Right. Um, so I, you know, I take on that mental and I, I just always acknowledge that. I acknowledge my positionality because yeah. I think that's uh, 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 essential. That's a good way to like model like a good practice. For, yeah. Like, like I'm not, not taking their voice. Yeah. Yeah. But here's that awareness. Here's what you need to know. Um, and, and sometimes I think it enables people to ask those questions that they don't really want to ask. Mm. Right. Um, but you have to ask those questions to figure out how do I do different? Right. And I, right. and I get it. It's like, this is the space. This is the space to do it, you know? Um, because then it can translate into like just the simplicity of having people at the front, you know, your frontline people know about pronouns. Yeah. Yeah. Right. No, to, you know, ask to follow the person, you know, just to get those cues, um, that can make that huge difference about how somebody feels comfortable in their healthcare or how somebody feels comfortable about, you know, getting that service that they're seeking. Um, and so I do that and then sometimes I'll... I'll have tater, uh, <laughs> tailor a class um, to a specific need. So um, I'm trying not to give too much away. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's, yeah. It's, <laughs> right? That's, that's fine. Yeah, we won't, be post, we won't be posting this one on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, so anyway, so like the biggest thing right now is r really re-engaging trust um, in these issues and then kind of infusing these aspects with gender dynamics. Um, I'm gonna leave it there. Um, it, yeah, anybody can pick yeah. up a, a newspaper and know why. Sure. Um, <laughs> and what else am I, have I been doing? Yeah, so so yes, I mean, that, again. Just um, to name a few. Yeah, okay. yeah. I'm wondering how you get time to sleep, honestly. Right. I'm, I'm wondering how I get time <laughs> to sleep. Do you ever uh, have to do like a, 
like triage. So you, you kind of hinted, <laughs> you, you hinted at like maybe that, that you had to do something that was very specific to something that was acutely a problem at the time. Is that, is that normal for you? Like if there's some like departmental uh, fiasco regarding uh, these issues, you have, you ever like parachuted in to just like try to help sort it out? Is that, is that part of what you do or is that like some other, like some HR thing? It's, it's, it's a level it's, it, it's done in levels. Mm. Um, so I'm fortunate enough that we work kind of in conjunction with other um, individuals in our department who are able to address those from, you know, like have those initial new meetings and mm. kind of look at what else is bubbling up. And then, and then it's the, you know, the, and I can schedule that. So it's kind of like, I put that placeholder and know, okay, I'm going to be in with that department in addition to um, what's the other work that I'm, that I'm doing. Um, I think what's going to shift is how to get more follow-up from those yeah. sessions. Right. I think that's what's yeah. really missing um, because there's a huge drive to, okay, so you attend the training, but where's the accountability? Yeah. Like, so I, so I put up this last slide, like, how do you make culture humility live? Right. You know, who's actually going to care? Yeah enough to follow up to say, well, what, what you department are you doing? Like, how have you actually made these initiatives happen? Um, what is it affecting? Right. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've sat in a a meeting, you know, an organizational wide meeting and they say, okay, we're going to do this and not necessarily diversity awareness or anything like Mm -hmm, that, but we're mm going to do like wellness training. We're going to, we're going to do this thing. Yeah. And then like a few months later, oh, we've never heard of that ever again. (laughs) Like it's, Mm -hmm. it happens all of the time. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you think like in a diversity related situation where I've heard departments say, well, we want to have diversity, but we just don't know where to look, you yeah. know, kind of, yeah. right, right. We don't know where to look. We can't right. find them. Um, they don't want to stay. Um, so they're just like, you know, that kind of emoji yeah. that's yeah. like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, yeah. you know shrug emoji, you know, <laughs> and then it's like end of report. And I'm, and I'm sitting up there like. Okay, who's going to ask the next question? I'm like, well, what next are you going to do? Yeah. Right. What are you going to change? <laughs> what have you not pursued? Where do you, right? And then they're just like still shrugging. I'm like, why are we st- in the insti- mm. institutions <laughs> and corporations where we're still allowing people to just shrug and, and, and right. you know, yeah. shrug that off? And that's, that's so deeply embedded. And that's the thing is that's when you start to see how institutionalized it is. Yeah. That shrug should mm-hmm. never have been acceptable. That should right. never be an acceptable answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That should never be a respe- uh, uh, an acceptable response. And so that's what I think, you know, that, um, is, oh, inshallah, will be some continuity um, and, yeah. and some change. I, th- I think we're in a, in a, in a uh, state of flux right now. Yeah. And really that accountability piece is starting to get called into question about how does that happen as well. Um, We need resources for that, though, right? So I'm over here taking care of another department, Mm. and then somewhere in between that, you know, the need to follow up. It's like, man, if I had a team member Mm. that was the (laughs) follow-up team member, that would be amazing, right? right? Or, you know, if we had this kind of back and forth of, okay, I've done the training, you next level person when you check in follow up with me so i know what more mm-hmm. or i right. know what other resources to provide or right yeah. like What's those th- resources they want to go into like the banquet celebrating how how awesome we are because yeah. we did this training thing and now yeah. no yeah like the actual boots on the ground kind of situation's not really happening yeah yeah well, we want the we want the you know everybody brings their 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 <laughs> <laughs> cultural cuisine day. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> if I had one more person tell me that, I'm like, look, that went out in the 90s, yo. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> like any airport book on diversity. Oh, that's right. There are none. Would have told oh. you. <laughs> Don't do that. But to, the, to the notion of uh, like needing resources, like what's more emblematic of an institutional obstacle to actually doing this work and practicing it than like, not having the funding or the resources, not being given them, right? Because it's like this, this meta-level obstacle where yeah. you're trying to do the work of uh, like a- actually diversifying the place, but it's like, where's the, where's the money coming from? Yeah. Or is that, so like, you got you do a seminar for the people who are in charge of the purse strings so that they can they can release those to you so that you can have your you can have what you need to actually do your well, do your program. I mean, I, I I'm like, sorry, but I can't do that. 
Yeah, I mean, I think no, that's... No, but you're asking all the right questions. Right. Yeah, that's part of the problem, though, is, is, is again, in the corporate culture, so much of it is just a check mark of, yeah. we did this one thing, now it's cured, why do I need to spend more money on it? That's like, right. the, you know, it's it's done, we're aware of our racism, we're aware of our, our, <laughs> our biases, and that's all we need to do. Yeah, yeah. We went and cried in a corner. Yeah. And now, now we're, we're all right. Cured. We're cured. Right. We're cured, yeah. yeah. We don't, we, and then we told that person, don't ever darken our door again. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's it's like there's two minds for for a lot of leadership, I think, and and just general the workforce. But but I'm gonna I'm gonna put the blame s- firmly on leadership for this because yeah, sure. they they have the ability and to make these decisions to to go to follow up, um, but they like they they don't want to do it. They want those instant fixes. Mm-hmm. And at the one time they're they're identifying saying, "Yes, racism exists and and this is a problem, but not for us right. because we've done this. This is fine." And yeah. Yeah. Even though their numbers haven't changed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. nothing's nothing has actually changed, but because they're aware of nothing has changed or or not even that that. But they, d- you know, yeah. shrug well, the, emoji. The, yeah, the shrug. shrug. <laughs> the shrug is an is an implicit victim blame. Right. Yeah. Because like what usually comes with the shrug is there there aren't the people there to pull from. We don't have a robust enough pool uh, Mm of people that they don't want to stay. Well, I mean, I'm sure that's not true. Like Mm -hmm. empirically, I'm sure that's not true that there aren't people that can be doing those jobs that are from uh, marginalized communities. And I'm sure that there's a reason that they don't want to stay. And I I think a lot of that probably has to do with your institutional practices. Uh Yeah. Right. Like. So, so the shrug, the shrug isn't just a neutral like I don't know what to do. The shrug yeah. is it's not my problem; it's their fault. It's like I couldn't yeah. I couldn't imagine where a peaceful person wouldn't want to stay when they're just like ignored and you right. know <laughs> called the wrong name all the time or you know <laughs> asked if their hair can be touched or yeah. um, you know their ideas are completely you know unfathomed or you know they're just Brushed completely off, dismissed yeah. and da 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 et cetera et cetera et cetera. Yeah. Um, or they're just like so tokenized. I was, it was actually, there's a graphic, uh, infographic. I'm like, man, we've gotten to the point where racism needs an infographic. Oh, no. <laughs> like, uh. <laughs> I can't even. <laughs> you know, when I start seeing infographics on racism, I'm no, all right, we finally arrived. Yay. Um, <laughs> And it was it was like seriously like this this uh, you know you hire a woman of color the woman of color sits on the you know leadership board tells leadership board what's needed to be done on on you know how racist the, you know their their institution is <laughs> woman of color never gets invited to meeting <laughs> woman of color is deemed the issue or is right. told to fix the problem yeah. 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 woman of color leaves institution <laughs> you know <laughs> white people institution scratch their heads yeah, you know? I mean that on. wasn't an infographic yeah. but that would have been my infographic I guess we need a, I guess we need a different consultant this yeah <laughs> exactly yeah. Um, and I'm you know I'm just like yeah like finally like finally that truth is out there um Mm. that that exists and and so like you know when i'm um talking to uh, students about this and and i get i get professionals practitioners in my classes that are kind of asking that question to like i want to do this but there's no there's no instruction manual about how to actually do this because those the efforts have been underfunded the i find that the work gets done almost on the underground like mm. there's an underground railroad of of work of people who are dedicated to it um who get it done despite um right. the institutional investment because they just feel like something has to exist um whether it be those support groups for employees, for staff members who just need to talk about like what that you know their version of that infographic, um, and and find a way to persist because the other thing is like this is about work. This is about people's livelihoods, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. this isn't where it's just uh, okay. Well, that environment doesn't work, so I'll bounce over here. That right. environment doesn't work, they'll bounce around here. We d- we don't live in that kind of society anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you're affecting people's livelihoods. Um, you know, it's, and I, I've, I've been there. Like you know, we were talking about, um, you know, this is like a you know the only job in in which, you know, you haven't confronted racism. Right. Um, in in an, I came from the culinary world where it was just, 
It was nasty. That's brutal, it yeah. was absolutely <clears throat> nasty. And I remember like one of the uh, kitchens, I came back from culinary school. I actually write about this in my dissertation. Hmm. Um, I came back from culinary school. I came back because there was a, a chef who was in a new kitchen and he was like, yeah, join my team. Da, 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 da. I thought, cool. I'm going to be like on the team. Like this is going to be dope. I'm fresh out of culinary school. <laughs> like, yo, bet, you know? And the first day I'm in there and he's imitating Mammy from oh Gone with God. the Wind, like no, no. really loud, like, you know, just like, I don't know, no, no. And I don't oh know why. Yeah, I don't right. know why. Like, told, like, I'm just thinking, like, I show up for the job and you're imitating Mammy? I'm like, really? Wait, Kristen, so we have to take a break. Oh, okay. But I want to finish this story right at the end. Okay. So this is a good, a good place. I want to, we're setting this up. Okay. Uh, but I want to, I want to, I want to deal oh. with this next. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, <laughs> did she stab him with a knife or what? <laughs> <laughs> Good question. Find out in what way she murders this man <laughs> after the break. This has been Punching Out. <laughs> this is Punching Out, a project of the Punching Out Collective. And we want to hear about the struggles you face as a worker. You can tell us your stories by sending an email to punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook and we're on Twitter at punchingoutwayo. Tune in and punch out. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Welcome back to Punching Out. You're here with Ariel, Kristen, and Lou. And Kristen was just telling us about how she murdered a man. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did not murder anyone. Okay, so back us up a little bit so we can... We can uh, All right, so, so he's walking around the kitchen and he's like imitating Mammy from Gone with the Wind. Quite frankly, all I did was stand there in shock. I was absolutely like in <laughs> shock. Who expects that? Um, I, I'm sure somebody does. I'm sure somebody does. Mm. I'm sure, like, if this was a call-in show, we'd get a call-in from somebody <laughs> like, yeah. to be like, I told you about that. What were you doing? And I'd be like, yeah. you're right. You're right, yeah. sir. Um, I mean, it happens often enough that, like, w- why are we this shocked by it when it happens? I mean, <sighs> that's that's, like, it keeps happening. That's like the golden ticket of questions. The thing, yeah. the, the, thing that, the thing that shocks me is is how much of a deep cut that is. Um, right. Not, not that necessarily something like that happened. Uh, yeah. Like, a fan of vaudeville? Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, but I mean, yeah, like, of all the things, right, you know, like, and that's, that's like how arbitrary racism is. Yeah. yeah. Like, you can pick, like, any sort of nonsensical stuff that you just think is funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think any, any is like again, any right. ism and schism follows the same thing. So like, how many times you've just you know you said that joke that you know where you've emasculated a man, mm. and you haven't thought twice about what is that? How, what kind of effect does that have to do on somebody who's gender nonconforming, right. or on any on a man, or even just on somebody who's questioning themselves and questioning their identity, right? right? And and so like. That leads me to like how, again, that lifelong journey, that critical self-reflection, um, you know, d- that thing that I said, if it impacted somebody else, how do I take ownership of that mm-hmm. if I really am wanting to practice inclusion, right? So if, if I had had that courage at that time, um, at, I forget how old I was, I think I was like 27 or something like that, you know, and that's the other thing, like I'm raising a family, you know, I'm... That's my income. I'm I'm getting paid hourly. It's you know, crap, but it's something. Right? This, is, this is the head school. chef that was doing this. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of avenues for. Well, and the other thing is is like you know, and then I get risked you know, getting yelled at, and right. will he yell at me in the public forum or right? And then what do I say? Because I you know I didn't have my own you know conflict resolution <laughs> skills. Sure. Um, and so you know you're just. Uh, there's a, a clip from um, Dr. Joy DeGruy talks about this experience in a, in a grocery store. We show this clip all the time. Like I could, we could like freaking narrate it word for word. <laughs> um, I won't do it now, but yeah. um, but anyway, she talks about she's like in, in this phrase she goes and there I am navigating all the drama. Yeah, and mm-hmm. she talks about like how she's there like literally confronted with the situation, thinking about who's behind her, mm-hmm. thinking about her daughter that's standing right there bursting in tears. You know her sister-in-law like. Yeah, it, it, you're literally trying to say, like, what do I do? And watching, yeah. it, you know, who's laughing? Who else is laughing? Do I just laugh along? Do I just brush this off? Mm-hmm. You know, do I preserve myself? Um, that type of thing. And But what that translates for me now and what I incorporate in my teaching is I, t- I tell people, like, you know, you may have thought that was absolutely funny. You may have thought that that was just innocent and innocuous. Mm-hmm. 
but you're affecting someone, you're having an impact. And if you're not acknowledging the impact, right? So, you know, if, if Lou were to back up her chair and, and on my toe and I'm like, ow, that really hurt. And she's like, well, I didn't mean it. Right. And does that acknowledge the fact that my toe's freaking throbbing right yeah. now? Not that you backed up, yeah. but you know what I'm saying? It's like, that's, that's how easy it is that we, that we yeah. dismiss. And we, we separate the consequences from the intentions. Yeah. yeah, 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 and so then not we not only do that on an individualized level, but we do that on an institutionalized yeah. level, right? right? Yeah. We don't think about what it is practices, how are they getting in the way mm -hmm. between what we want, this desired effect, and are we actually living that desired effect, that desired value that we say, um, and diversity toms left and right, and I've been I say this all the time. There's a big difference between your values that are espoused and your values that are practiced. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is, as leadership needs to understand, is people see the difference. Right. They yeah. see it yeah. because they experience it. And if they're not seeing you live those values, if they're not seeing you expect those values and hold people accountable to those values, then all you're doing is just throwing words on a page. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. it. I, yep. I imagine the leadership that you're doing these things for uh, they kind of bristle at something like that, right? Like, and they, they might they might take it they might take it nicely, yeah. take it politely, but you sort of, I'm sure that they get their, get their backs up. I I <laughs> often talk to the people at other levels. I don't I don't get in front of them. <laughs> that's that's wise. Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. want to be in front of that. I mean, that's uh, that's one of the only like that's one of the only bits of sort of rhetorical leverage that you have, um, like. like for peop the people that are actually making decisions is to like launch this kind of imminent critique here and say like, look, you're, you're saying all the right things. That's great. Um, but it's in your best interest mm -hmm. to make, make your practices align with these things. Yeah. Uh, I mean, again, I think um, consequences tend to do that. Yeah. Circumstances tend to do that. Um, uh, well, so, I, you know, I'll, I'll use par example. Um, if we look at what happened two years ago with um, Mizzou, um, was it Yale, mm. Ithaca College, um, just recently with Michigan? Um, was it, um, is her name Spencer, uh, uh, Michigan's president, who um, just recently had to resign because they the systematically ignored Larry the Nasser thing? Yes. Yeah. Um, Nasser and how he was operating. Mm. Um, if we look at Ithaca College, Ithaca College, um, President Tom Rashan had to, um, turn in his resignation and I mean on a vote of no confidence Woof. right <laughs> yeah you and your provost need to go um just summarily because they dismissed um any and and not so much to dismiss but they, they didn't listen to the people they didn't listen to the students that were right so how can you say you're for students if you're not listening to your students that's right right yeah. um if you look at what happened in Mizzou um with um oh god I'm I'm messing up like what the association is but it's like students 1850 or something like that oh yeah no, I I know what you're talking about yeah I don't have it ready to hand either I'm and sorry. I mean they're like there like surrounding the, his car yeah. during you know and saying hey listen like we are being affected like mm -hmm. we are getting not only racism on campus hear these issues we're getting it in the community mm -hmm. right yeah. the community's like you know booing them and and right and he's sitting in his car like yeah. he had an opportunity mm. right there that's right president right there to live your these values yeah. and instead he sits in his car because right. that's where he's comfortable it's a, yeah. it's, it's a it's a metaphor just to just be, become real right like he's in the face of civil disobedience and every single university president yeah. should have seen this as that rising tide mm -hmm. And taking that opportunity to look in that mirror, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? But power, to, I think power yeah. has a way of getting in the way of interfering that. Mm -hmm. um, and there's something, a, a dear friend of mine, so we've been um, doing some presentations together, and she brings up um, Arnold Mendel's um, Sitting in the Fire. Um, and there's a f passage where he talks about the, um, that rank can either be a drug or it can be something that is, you know, if you acknowledge your rank, how that it can, you can shift it. There's an opportunity right, to right. kind of get away from that addiction yeah. of, of rank. Um, and so I think, again, like when, when we're really reflective human beings, when we use that as our tool and put that in our toolkit mm -hmm. and, and really start to say, these issues are not necessarily about me yeah. But what kind of disruption are they causing right. that 
I can make that difference, right? I can seriously make that difference. Not so much because I'm the great, you know, savior, but who do I need to then listen to? Yeah. Who do I need to then include? Who do I need to stop dismissing, cease to dismiss, right? Yeah. Um, in any capacity, because that can be that difference, that can be that catalyst to how we truly make this substantive change right. and what people are actually seeing um, demonstrated as far as that substantive change. Um, and I think, like, just overall, Again, going back to like the need for trust, um, you know, the the need to rebuild trust from from a leadership perspective, sure. um, the need to really o- open up, like who who are you? Are you one that is chasing your rank, or are you one that seriously is is about doing the work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That requires a lot of like like you said earlier. You know, it's humility, and mm-hmm. it's it's part of it. I think would also be confidence in yourself. Because, you know, my perspective with with race and racism is that as a white person, it sometimes feels uncomfortable and difficult to ask the questions about what you can do better. And 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 I think that that is partly because from a position of power, it feels like or it can feel like you're giving up power by saying, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of vulnerability. Yeah. We're, we're a society where you, you have to you have to know everything, especially. Right. And so, uh, yeah, if you, you're put in this position, you have to have the answers. Mm-hmm. And I think also it doesn't help that when you're in institutions that want that instant fix, right? right? And people are, you know, pushing you to have a solution, like yeah. ready, like in your back pocket, like, you know. <laughs> it's um, that, that instant fix they still want. They want yeah, it. I mean, yeah. you know, I would say, like, we're a society in which it's like, you know, yo, put this medicine on your tongue and get your ass back to work, <laughs> you know. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, that's not functional. So right. you got people that are showing up and they're just like, my fever went down yeah. two degrees. <laughs> and you're like, you were 104. You need to take your ass home because you're about to make me sick. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's just like, we shouldn't be that society. We shouldn't be that, but we are that. And, and that's, we, we got it. That's what we have to start shifting. We really have to shift. And it means, yeah, being those leaders that are just like, I don't have all the answers. That's why I'm sitting at this table with y'all. Yeah. And, but we're going to be guided by this commitment. Right. Right. If we're not guided by this commitment and if it's not aiding us, and how we understand this commitment from how our students, how our stakeholders, how the people who are affected by this, by the circumstances of this, yeah. are informing us. And some of you are the you know right. the same people, right? That's yeah. the other thing. Mm-hmm. Like so, those same people who are telling you this is a problem, you need to be sitting them at that table yeah. right. and going, okay, yeah, tell us what's been going on in that problem. What's yeah. the background of those problem, yeah. right? Um, my, my sense yeah. is a materialist is that uh, leadership is probably not going to be the first domino uh, to fall. Um, that effective um, effective diversity training um, and practice is something that's much more likely to happen um, at the rank and file level. Mm. And once, the, once that creates a certain kind of solidarity and mutual understanding, then leadership would be forced to actually fall in line. Because it, it isn't really in leadership's interest to really care about this stuff and i think the reason yeah. that we're we see leadership in situations like this want the instant fix is because they're not actually interested in fixing the problem because it doesn't matter to them mm. um mm-hmm. or m- they might actually just be benefiting from it right mm-hmm. like they, they, me- they benefit from from a lack of solidarity at the rank and file level and they benefit from the, fric- the frictions that occur between workers um so it's i mean it, i think it's entirely likely that leadership should be thought as sort of an afterthought they should be you, they should be held up as a kind of an object, as an obstacle. Um, and uh, if you if you want these institutions to become more healthy, more like racially healthy, I think that the most important thing is getting the rank and file uh, to, to understand these concepts and to live them out in such a way as to force leadership through their solidarity to follow suit. Because mm. I don't, I, I, paradoxically, their, their leadership puts them in a position to not be able to lead on these issues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, yeah. I can't, you're fighting against structures that are built these ways these ways for a reason because of the amb- the ambient set of incentives that are built into to why they do what they do yeah, uh, yeah. prop profit motive uh the 
institutional inertia, like all of those things are going to militate prestige. against prestige. Prestige, absolutely. Yeah. And like you were saying, rank, rank as a drug. Um, I think the dr- the drug aspect of rank is a much more is is much more the default. Um, I think that someone it's entirely possible somebody can become sort of enlightened in these in these positions and uh, find find the agency to actually make change from a top in a top down way. But as a materialist, I I don't I tend to think those are kind of like outliers. Mm. Most people are going to behave according to the, the 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 structural incentives that they that they're doing the work under, and these are most likely going to be ones that are sort of that are fractious and racially fraught and are going to um, are going to uh, perpetuate the sort of toxic relationships that uh, these mm-hmm. these institutions have. Uh, so uh, the change is going to have to have to be bottom up, which is the case, I think, in anywhere where, where progress is being uh, sure. considered. Yeah, I mean, I, you're, you're seeing that now. I yeah, mean, that's yeah. right. You're seeing students. that with a, well, yeah, students, students. Yes. but I mean, just even <clears throat> on a national level, where you're you're seeing that, like, I, mean, I want to use Hollywood as an example, but I mean, the fact that you know you had women who were just um, inspiring each other to speak up to the extent where mm-hmm. I mean they're, you know, toppling you know Harvey Weinstein out of his own yeah. company. Now was it a woman that just bought his company? <laughs> was it? Oh, Which is like you know, it's like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I hope that's true. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's just about yeah that rank and file level of em- of empowerment to the extent of if you're not going to practice this, then we are. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then I think in an example of it, like Ithaca College, um, you know, where faculty have really driven the charge to say, if you're not capable of doing this, mm-hmm. then we're going to ask you kindly ask you to leave, yeah. t- kindly ask you to vacate. So, so the expectations and the standards are then driven from um, from that kind of um, s- sub leadership level. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't a nice way of saying that, um, <laughs> but you know what I'm talking yeah, about. Again, yeah. from yeah. the underground, from the underground right? right? From the yeah. underground, yeah. Um, and just say, you know, look, if you if you're not going to follow suit, we're going to find somebody who will. That's right. That's right. And if they ain't going to follow suit, we're going to keep finding somebody. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's, that's a question. Like, who who's going to benefit from, from change? The people that are benefiting from the status quo? No. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well. Yeah. Yeah. They might. You know. It's, it's they could so I, I mean it's like in you know I'm 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 like reality and then there's potential yeah. right and I'm right. like I'm feeling that teeter like right. you know like yeah um like you're carrying two buckets of water right mm-hmm. and you always got to keep it in balance in some way there's yeah there's there's acknowledging the reality but I think you also like you can't be in this work if you can't hope right you know you can't yeah. be in this work if you you can't be an activist if you can't have hope if you can't see the potential. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I think like that's, that's the, uh, the other end. Like we talk about, um, rank as a drug, but we also talk about what happens when you recognize how you can use rank, Mm -hmm. right? Um, what record, like privilege people, oh, they get, they bristle, (laughs) right? But it's just like, but recognizing privilege also leads you over here to like, Mm -hmm. you know, the sense of enlightenment and the sense of encouragement and the sense of utilizing your privilege mm-hmm. in a way in which you can advocate and uplift and empower yeah. not only yourself, but your institution, your practices, right? And the way and the things that you can facilitate yeah. so that you're not just opening a door, you're kicking down the whole mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, structure <laughs> so that people are like, I, you know, so I just saw this, um, that meme about like the people, you know, one is sh- uh, shorter than others and, you know, the standing on the the blocks yeah and then there's one where they're like well just give him a block and then you know they put the shorter guy on the block so he can be as tall as just the other person mm-hmm. and then somebody was just like how about you just take down the freaking wall so they all see and i'm like you know and they're like we're so like you know self-gratifying yeah. like yeah. we gave him a block to stand on and right. now he can see and, and some like dumbass what if you took down the freaking wall and it's just like <laughs> Oh yeah. Oh, oh right. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. These barriers. Yeah. yeah. So that's just what I'm saying. It's yeah. like you have to kind of get to that hope level of like you know. Hopefully there'll be if if it's not you, somebody will have the intelligence to come along and just identify how to use that rank yeah. to say yeah. I can be that one to take mm-hmm. down that like 
all I got. I got a sledgehammer. I got everything that's needed. I'm going to take it down, and then we're going to check in. Everybody cool? Everybody can see? Everybody, <laughs> you know, have access? And you, you mentioned you, you mentioned amazing. that people people get really uncomfortable um, when their pri- privilege is pointed out, but I I think I, w- I wish people with privilege could understand that like they're recognizing this privilege is it's an opportunity to become more human. It's what, what, what's happening there is that you are no longer like recognizing the way that you are driven um, sort of subconsciously by all of these things that are sort of outside of your control. That gives you agency in a way that you've never experienced before. And I think that like to be fully human is to be as agentic as possible. Um, yeah. It's in like it's in people's it's in privileged people's best interest to recognize that privilege and to work on it as a self conscious project because mm-hmm. that makes them more human. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, now you get into this whole spiritual realm of things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think that's that's definitely a barrier to overcome. Is you know I'm originally from the south, mm. and when you talk to people from my home place, uh, they they really do want to believe that everything that they've done is because of themselves, like internal, yeah. Yeah, yeah. which is part of privilege, but they, they just, I don't know. It's, it's, it's like hitting a brick wall every time with them is trying to overcome that yeah. and, mm-hmm. and say, Hey guys, it's There's okay. More. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and moreover, like why, what is, why must in order for you to succeed, somebody else fail? Mm-hmm. 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 That's yeah. that's yeah. what really flourishing is not a zero sum game. Exactly, that's true. But it's so often treated as that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in fact, it's impossible without cooperation. Exactly, but no, it's it's my my individual. I did it just myself. Nobody helps me. Yeah, that's the attitude, you. and right. it's mm-hmm. it's ridiculous. Oh, it's self preservation yeah. too. Yeah. So uh, we have about ten minutes left, and uh, <clears throat> so maybe let's get into the. The act, the action items from the, the meeting. Action items. All right. What do we do? What do we do with ourselves? I mean, just like where we where we left off uh, was a good part. Is it really starts with your own understanding? It really starts with um, looking kind of from that holistic perspective of of you know where can I contribute to different circumstances and. How do I stop looking at this as like an end sum game um, for my success? And um, so, if you're somebody that's looking at your institution, right? Um, you know, how is my institution really, genuinely, authentically contributing? And something we talk about as a class is like, how do you do this from an authentic, from a space of authenticity, right? Mm-hmm. So that you're not only taking these efforts and doing to do items, but you're doing it in a way that is not continuing to tokenize people mm-hmm. that is you know you're you're shifting that infographic right um so some of the things and i and i can't say this is like the like i still i feel like i'm still working through that to do part right um in my own right but like the things that i'm i'm reading that i that i teach that i try to inform other people um, specifically white people. White people need to do their work. <laughs> they have to do yeah. their work. You have to understand about racism. You have to understand about how you're white. You have to understand what whiteness means. Um, uh, um, some dear friend that I was talking about handed um, handed me the book um, Waking Up White, which is amazing because it has like questions at the end of each chapter. It's mm-hmm. written by this woman named Debbie Irving who was just here. Um, so going on that journey of whiteness and understanding whiteness is really essential. There's a, um, a podcast that I was listening to that's amazing Mm. where this gentleman not only does his own journey and he talks to people who have like looked at the history of how whiteness became a thing, how racism became a thing. Mm. And then he reflects, he's like, you know, talks to his, his best friend who's black, but he does it in a way that he's just like, just, I want to check in. I want to check in. Am I processing like how am I understanding this? How do you understand this? Right. So it makes it a, a more collaborative conversation. Um, sometimes like I'll get questions from specifically activists. Like they'll say, you know, we want to in- involve more um, people of color into our organization. Um, I get this, you know, from an organizational level. And one of my first questions is like, do you go where people of color are? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, like <laughs> that's kind of a, a thing that you need to do. Right. Um, I, I can't prescribe what that's always going to look like, um, because I think that's like entails so much trust. Um, it entails being present without an agenda, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think is tremendously huge. 
Um, so like one thing that comes up for an example, and then you can kind of replicate this example to your own needs. But um, a lot of times, like when like the Clarissa, Clarissa Street Festival or um, just, you know, things, events that'll happen, um, the activist group Black put on a, a marketplace mm -hmm. that was tremendous. There's at the Baobab, there's a Ujima, uh, Ujima um, uh, marketplace. Mm -hmm. So all these events that occur, and and, and one of the questions of, um, that come up in communities of color is like, well, where are these teachers? Where are these teachers mm -hmm. that show up and work in schools with children of color, but never seem to know like anything about these children's neighborhoods? You mm -hmm. know, they always want to call it the hood, right. but they never want to think of it as it's a community. Yeah. It's a place where your students live. It's a place where they're, you know, they're actively engaged. And by the way, they have these tremendous events that like, you know, substantiate where they live. Um, you know, how many of you are showing up for the Puerto Rican festival and, you know, really showing up for the festival? How many people are showing up for the pride festival? Right. That type of thing. Um, so where do we go? Where do we go so that we're getting exposed to more than just the trope mm -hmm. of, you know, the people that we want to encounter? How do we start learning about, you know, where professionals of color exist mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and again, reaching one, yeah. out, right. And, um, and do that on our own research or, mm. you know, if you got to ask that question, you'd be like, okay, I Googled everything I need to Google. Yeah. I still can't find where black yeah. engineers are. It's like, well, did you try the black engineer, you know, yeah. union uh, yeah. um, <laughs> to try RIT where there's a, a branch. It's like shit, you know, <laughs> so yeah so doing that like actually actively pursuing it like mm -hmm. pursue it like make it your your freaking mission um so that's like you know two suggestions that i can because i don't know how much time we have but and you have so you have so little to lose in uh in in that kind of a that kind of a project right because it's like the worst that could happen is the only thing that happens to you is your life gets a little richer Right? Yeah, like, like you, you know something say, more yeah. about yourself. <laughs> you don't. You Holy don't, crap! You don't yeah. change the world, but it's like, oh, your world got a little bigger. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We do this one exercise um, that's called the Trusted Ten, mm. and so we have people like list names of like everybody that's like your your trusted people, like your homies, like your people that you. you know, and if you think about your work, you know your work BFFs, right? Mm. And you know you've gone to each other's homes, you go out to coffee, you're the ones that you know sit across from lunch, and then say for example. Um, so you're listing all these names, right? So we say like these are the people that you know you get a job description, and you're just like, oh, I knew Susie's like looking for work, and you send it to the trusted ten, and like send these all to your networks, right? And then we have them like open up the page and start writing all the demographics mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. who are those trusted ten, mm -hmm. right? So who are they racially? Who are they gender wise? How what age are they? Are they you know um, disabled or um, are they able bodied? Um, or people with disabilities, able-bodied, like people, some people use people first language, I get it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what's their sexual orientation? What's their gender identity, gender expression? So all of that, lay it out. Yeah. And we put people face to face with either, you know, this heterogeneity or, um, homogeneity, or homogeneity of their trusted circles, right? Yeah. right? Because that's how we operate. We operate within that because when promotions come up and if that's in your organizational bank and you got these like, you know, whether it be a trusted 10 or a trusted five, who are the five people that you pluck up to take up with you? Yep. Um, yep. Presidents come in with their own cabinet inst institutions. Who are their trusted 10 that they're plucking into yeah. their cabinets? And then what's the construct of that cabinet if they just got these homogenous trusted 10? Yeah. People so, make fun of rappers for having huge entourages, but that's what they're doing. <laughs> Right, so rappers <laughs> are just like presidents of their own like universe. That's right. You That's know? right. This yeah. is their trusted ten, and uh, they, it is their trusted ten. They get to do it just like everybody else gets to do it. And you know, to some extent, That's like awesome. if you look at, so I'm not, I, you know, I don't. Okay, I can't look like go from the the rapper lexicon, but like if you look at somebody like um, MC Hammer, mm -hmm. right? MC Hammer was like, I mean, he was absolutely brilliant for the time, oh. right? He lit up. But his trusted 10 were also, unfortunately, people who were looking at how they were going to get 10,000 of his 10 million. Shouldn't know? have trusted him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of, in some example, how homogeny can, can really be a problem. The other thing is, is I go back to what we were talking about before, is if you start to infuse more individuals and you start to infuse it with diverse voices, mm -hmm. are you really listening to them? Are you really listening to them? Sure. Are you really considering their expertise? 
or are you getting all sensitive and fragile about what they have to say and then finding that as a a way to uninvite them, right? Um, So with that, as you're doing your own work, as you're starting to explore and expand your capacity around your trust to 10, that self-reflection piece means what are you willing and able to do to stay in that discomfort that is going to come? Yeah, Yeah. and human personalities are essentially a collection of habits, right? So if you want to undo something that is in some sense pathological, it it you just need to repeat it over and over again, and you need to like take possession of that project. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, it's just going to be a drop in the ocean. It'll be it'll be one diversity seminar that made you feel good, and then you forget about it. Mm-hmm. It has to it has to become a part of the routine way that you think about yourself as a person, mm-hmm. uh, or else it won't stick. It'll just it'll just be subsumed by your other bad habits. Yeah, um, I think I think we're good. So right. this has been fantastic. Thank you, guys. Yeah. It's um, a nice way to spend a Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Sorry I was late. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. This has been Punching Out. I'm Ariel. I'm Kristen. And I'm Lou. All right. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Punching Out. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Punching Out Leo. Email us your work stories, complaints, and struggles to punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. Punching Out is a project of the Punching Out Collective. Our producer is Ryan Brister. Music for Punching Out is provided by Ariel Cruz. Tune in next week for more Punching Out. And remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are.